0: Thank you all for joining us this week. Just uh, revisiting some of our forecasts and the forecast network, but also wanted to talk to you a little bit about an article that we've been writing on, an idea we've been writing about, an article we recently published. And this is the global acreage expansion we talked about in part one, global acres have been expanding and you could pretty much dial it into three regions. South America has accounted for about half of all the acreage expansion that we've seen in the last few years. And South Asia and the former Soviet Union regions have also contributed to the expansion. So we took a look in this latest article saying, where has the expansion taken place specifically geographically, but also by crops? And so the first chart here that I've pulled up on the screen, if you're following along is from 2000, really to the most recent period, you can see that Wheat is the biggest crop by acreage. We've added about 19 million acres of wheat over the last uh, couple decades, uh, quite a few acres of uh, corn, and then 157 million and then a lot of soybeans. But when we dive in even closer, and we look at just the last few years, you can see that it's really a, a big increase in soybean acres, 25 million acres of soybeans in the last five years, 14 million acres of corn, But if you combine all the oil seeds, it's really been an oil seed expansion. So it's been about 46 million acres of oil seeds. So that includes sunflowers, soybeans, and rapeseed. Combine all those together. And then, of course, you have cotton increasing by 15 million. So, again, the boom that we saw in the early 2000s was largely driven by corn, a little bit soybeans. But here lately, we've really seen this oil seed expansion.
1: Yeah, the soybeans are just an amazing story. When you think back to even 1950s, 60s, 70s, it wouldn't even be considered a major crop uh, now today. You know, substantial acreages of them, so their growth has been nothing short of exceptional. So kind of interesting to
0: see how that has played out over time. So we also looked at, you know, each of those three regions we mentioned, South America, former Soviet Union, and South Asia. Again, country but also crops. So you spend a lot of time in this article, but Brazil of course is the biggest footprint of crop production. They currently have over 160 million acres of cropland or crop acreage harvested. For context, we're going to harvest 180 180- or plant 180 million acres of corn and soybeans in the US. And so it gives you a little bit of scale as to their combined total versus the US for two crops. They've also added a huge share, 27 million Brazil alone, Uh, a little bit of add in this Argentina, but overall, those two countries, Brazil and Argentina are the biggest uh, portion here. We do see Even the acreage expansion in South America has been largely soybeans, 14 million acres of soybeans, 12 million acres of corn. Corn is a relatively bigger gain, uh, smaller acreage, but a relatively bigger gain. So a lot of corn going in down there, but again, sunflower, excuse me, soybeans, and cotton. Man, I'm just saying all the wrong crops. Sunflowers <laughs> and corn. My 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 image has shifted over apparently one. I need to dial that in. South Asia is a region of the world I'm not familiar with. It's primarily India. I think this was the most interesting piece. India is in South Asia are largely rice and wheat production. And as you can see, they've added a lot of those. But again, when you condense those oil seeds, the oil seeds collectively account for over 10 million acres of additional expansion. So it's bigger than all the rice and bigger than all the wheat that they have have added over the last few years. So even in India and even in the former Soviet Union regions, which is interestingly, primarily Ukraine and Russia, you know those two are not strangers to our thinking here in the headlines, but they've added a huge amount of global production in the last just three or four years. And even in that region, it's been a lot of oil seeds and specifically sunflowers. So, as we move around the world, it's soybeans in North America, right? It's soybeans in South America, but it's been sunflowers and rape. the rapeseed in Asia and the former Soviet Union. So, it's sort of this oil seed complex that's had been a lot of uh, enthusiasm over the last several years.
1: Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting to me that in five years we've seen some of those expansions of that size. What was it in South America? How much was that in the last five years? Well caught my attention because it was big enough. It's about 40.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're about, I guess if you add those together, 38 million acres have come there, and it's been the majority of the total global expansion. So 33.8 out of a 63 million acre increase around the world so about 54% coming specifically out of South America alone and 27 most <laughs> all of it coming from
1: Brazil. I mean it you know they are just continue to really expand production and you wonder where the limits of that are it doesn't appear that we're even close to hitting it though.
0: But the idea here is of course When there are strong profits in agriculture, like we've seen over the last 18 months, strong commodity prices, it creates incentives to plant more crops. And we think about it in the U.S., And there could be some limits to the US story, although I think Brent and I talk a little bit about this. You know, CRP acreage has reduced over the last several decades. We convert pasture ground or hay ground into crop production if profits are high. We double crop if if profits are high. There's less fallow that goes on in the Western parts of the the Great Plains Mm -hmm. if there's significant profits. Um, But it really is breaking open new ground in other parts of the world. And this is what we've seen. And this will eventually cure the tight stock situation that we've talked about in earlier articles and earlier conversations is we have tight stocks, strong commodity prices, but this will eventually cure those. And if we're not careful, it can linger in the oversupply that this creates could linger for a long time.
1: Yeah. It's always working in the background and you don't notice it. You notice the weather shocks or the demand shocks in the short term, but in the in the long run, this global acreage expansion uh, is really important to get your head around and uh, to understand that, you know, there's nothing new under the sun and we're not, you know, I don't think into these periods of persistently high prices for forever. Uh, eventually, this will catch up with it. it. may take some time and there'll be fits and starts due to disruptions and supply, you know, supply shocks, weather shocks and whatnot. But uh, it's working in the background to increase that total acreage.
0: So, Brent, uh, I want to catch your thinking a little bit on the macroeconomic questions that we have. March has been sort of the meeting that everyone has been watching the Fed for, potentially raising interest rates. But of course, the situation in Russia and Ukraine and the sanctions that are being discussed and, and maybe put into place. How does and I guess the high energy prices, talk market down, oil uh, headed higher. You know, we've seen people talking about two hundred dollars a barrel. We don't know exactly how this is gonna to play together, but how has this impacted your thinking of some of the macroeconomic questions in the ag forecast network?
1: Well, it certainly has not lowered my probability of inflation. I think that is likely to be above 3.5%. I have a very high probability on that. The thing where I think it's muddied the thinking a little bit is on how the Fed will ultimately respond and what its options are going to be because uh, I think we'll have to wait and see how The war in the Ukraine ultimately impacts the oil prices and what that does, but it's going to put the Fed in a little bit of a tight spot because the higher energy prices are going to cause the higher inflation right up until it puts the economy in recession. And that's what they're going to have to deal with is do they want to help push it into recession or not? And so it's the calculus I think for the Fed is, going to get really complicated going forward i think in the short run they probably still hike but you have to think maybe some of the you know talking about eight rate hikes and stuff may go away with what's happening uh across
0: the ocean we talked about last fall you know this idea that we're only one black swan away from needing to stimulate the U.S. economy and by no means calling this a black swan, uh, the Ukraine situation. But I think it's important to recognize that when things are going well, it sort of always looks like it's going to go well. And now we have this situation where high energy prices, we thought it was going to be short term, but it could you know, start to stick around, especially if you think about these sanctions and how the Russia-Ukraine situation plays out. It's definitely, like you said, changing the calculus, right? It's moving some things, to have a longer run perspective or longer run impact than what we might have initially thought as we started the year in 2022?
1: Yeah. I mean, the psychological impact of going to the gas station, paying $5 a gallon for gasoline is not something I think that should be underestimated. <laughs> I still remember the last time I did it and fully expect that we'll be doing that here soon. So, you know, I just don't know how policymakers are going to react to all this. It's uh, like I say, it's complicated.
0: Well, Brent, to wrap this up, I shared it with you the other day that you know I filled my truck up the other day and it was $100. And the psychology of that was a little much to take. So I've been filling my gas tank once a week instead of once every two weeks. And so that's been helping. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, uh, how the math works, but my brain, of course, doesn't necessarily register it the same way. So we'll see how all this plays out. Of course we have electric vehicles now. So maybe electric vehicles will help. Used to be, you couldn't really get off that. You had to buy a car, right? And the math was, do you buy a, a Prius but there's a, a little more fuel efficient, but now I guess we can all buy electric cars if we need that. So.
1: Yeah, I, it is a psychological deal, I think. And, uh, they used to always say, you know, $100 oil put the economy in recession and i don't think that's the number anymore but we're gonna find out because it's probably gonna go over that
0: so we'll see as a quick reminder it was uh march (laughs) of 2020 22 months ago when russia didn't want to cut oil production during the pandemic and crude went negative so we've gone from uh, negative oil, which was crippling the U.S. economy and the global expansion. Now we have um, high energy prices, will I guess give us a run for our money and, and be a headwind for the economies. So we'll see how that plays out. But hard to imagine we swung from both ends of that spectrum in just a pretty short period of time.
1: Well, really, yeah. I mean, who would have, you know, four years ago? I don't think anybody would have thought we'd be talking about this kind of stuff. So pretty wild how much it's changed.
0: All right. So encourage everyone to read the latest content and also update your forecast until next week. Stay curious.